Hello and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry and we are underway with season 6 where we are approaching the classics of the last century, the films that have let time do its thing. And when I say thing, I mean let time age like a fine wine, aging gracefully as time ticks on. So for episode 52, I bring you another film that we shall take another closer look at, a film that is deemed a classic, a film that many people know but not necessarily have seen, and that is the 1954 Alfred Hitchcock thriller, Rear Window. Based on a short story by Cornell Woolrich and directed by the master of suspense himself, Alfred Hitchcock, and starring James Stewart, Grace Kelly, and Wendell Corey. The movie opens with the blinds of a window in the centre frame, free clear blinds protecting us from what is behind this seemingly advantageous vantage point. As the blinds open up one by one from left to right, we are shown where the film will be taking place for the next 95 minutes. In fact, besides the ending of the film, I don't think we actually venture out of the apartment. We stay strictly close to Jimmy Stewart's character. And of course, at the end, when he gets thrown out of the window, is where we first see the film from somewhere else besides the inside of the apartment. The blinds, you could say, represents the basic structure of a narrative, the beginning, the middle, and the end. By that logic, only the first blind on the far left should open up, but all three of them are opening up, which further emphasises that the eyes are with the audience, that we see everything. And it's not just a movie, it's more of a hunt to deduce what is going to happen uh, right here in this movie, and can us, as the audience, figure out what is happening with the maximum vantage point from Jimmy Stewart's window. As the blind opens, the camera follows in through the middle where a blind once was, being the middle of everything, exactly what this shot is trying to say. And from where we are going throughout this movie, the perfect viewpoint to witness anything that may be going on in this small neighbourhood, trivial or not. Now the camera movement entices us to look closer now that the blinds are open. We are very early on that we see a cat. And we follow the cat, even though the cat's not doing anything but walking. And as the camera follows something for the first time, and in that shot, we already have this sense of boredom, yet anticipation of something happening, following something mundane as a creature. However, that proves to be quite relevant later, not with the cat, however, but with the dog. Now, with a perfect vantage point and the excuse of the heat, making sure all the neighbours' windows are open so we can see everyone in clear view and going on about their lives conveniently oblivious to Jimmy Stewart's uh, presence analysing everyone out of pure boredom, we are set for the next 95 minutes. We start this movie with the assumption of the plot and the sense of themes in our pocket simply by the title and the opening four minutes of the film, have I, as I've just described. Now, the themes are very obvious. It's voyeurism, something Hitchcock touched upon later in Psycho, and more commonly now as the trivial term, people-watching. All live in their own lives under their own roof, but in complete view from their window to a bored, innocent photographer. Jimmy Stewart, of course, plays that photographer, is the one who is clearly putting himself in danger right now. But what we know from his character as a photographer, he puts himself in danger quite a lot from the shots of his photos. In fact, the whole reason he is in his, his, is in his compartment confined is because he has a broken leg from taking a photograph in the middle of a Grand Prix photo, which we see at the back. So we see he is familiar with the presence of danger. But he's about to be ironically in more danger just by sitting still. Notice the iconography of the birds in the opening scene, foreshadowing Hitchcock's love for his future films, more specifically the birds. And we see the birds again in Psycho, so it's a sort of running theme of an idea that was going around or stirring in his head. 
The scene with the girls dancing, I say girls, the one girl dancing, giving the obvious feeling of spying, that lust, the flesh that is shown right away, the real danger slowly revealing itself. It's very clever for Hitchcock to show us the obvious spying on flesh. However, more is to come from this innocent hobby of just people watching. This could see, you know, you could interpret this as misdirection. However, cementing the idea of doing things that we're not meant to be doing, like spying on a half-naked person. We already get the impression that no one knows he is watching, and we might see something that we shouldn't. The photographer's eyes notices this mystery in a very suspenseful setting, set in one place, made famous later on in inspiring future films like Phone Booth, Reservoir Dogs, and M. Night Shyamalan's new film, Old. M. Night Shyamalan is no stranger to Hitchcock with his style of filmmaking, especially from his more curious film, The Happening. Now, with this film set in one place, we must be enticed in what's going on with such limited settings. The narrative must carry. The film, in fact, solely relies on this. And what happens with films usually set in one place is often a puzzle that the audience have to solve along with the character. Like, who is the mole in Reservoir Dogs? Or how do I get off this island in Castaway? For Rear Window is... My set, you know, the assumptions are correct, and uh, you know, something dodgy is going on with the neighbor opposite him, the salesman. Now, Jimmy Stewart plays the curious neighbor who's going to, you know, who happens to be a photographer locked and loaded with a stalker's dreams Christmas present, a fur binoculars, and a high powered lens camera. Now, we've become a nation of peeping toms. How relevant that is now is uh, another story, but Rear Window is a representation of today's tech with our phones. We bear it all to see, you know, tag in, location, what we eat, what we drink, buy, what we watch. Sometimes you see more than you need to. And what that does is get you even more curious, engaged, like the helper says in the film, see things that you shouldn't, which is trouble. The themes of a perfect world seem dull to Jimmy Stewart's character in this movie. He likes to live life on his edge, which we get quite literally at the bedroom window where all is revealed he's literally living his life on the edge of a window um, which even happens to be more relevant at the end of the movie even though his photos as well uh, confirm this as well Uh, in the film they say that the world's happiest marriages fall apart too perfect too good is something to be cautious about the film's themes and plots mimic or resonate themes still today and he says and i quote if she was only ordinary It is that reason he doesn't want to get married to the stunning Grace Kelly. Everything about her is too perfect, and he questions that. He raises an eyebrow to that, which tells us a lot about his character. He's always on alert, which makes him this nosy, curious neighbour who asks or thinks about the right questions when something rather mysterious is happening. Now, nothing has caused the modern world more trouble than intelligence, the idea of knowing that we would be able to do what Jimmy Stewart is doing in this movie, but from our phones in our own homes, like just like Jimmy's doing from this window, but not from a phone, but simply by looking out the window. They've already made a series about that, which is uh, You on Netflix. And it's not just about a guy who's had an accident, but, you know, it could be from... This could be anyone, anyone with a phone who has all social media who could just look for where someone is, and they could easily stalk someone or look or people watch. And it's not about being in the right place at the right time, which is exactly what this movie is suggesting, but maybe, and it's not just about getting lucky about being there when uh, the wind blows up a girl's skirt. It's just been, the, the fact is right now we're available all the time. The technology is in our very hands to do exactly what Jimmy Stewart is in this movie.
What Rear Window is suggesting, though, is not the fact that he's nosy and that no one could argue that he isn't, but rather that he has no choice. But the idea of becoming infatuated with the option of people watching is, I think, more misrepresented. Instead, it's the empathy that someone might be hurt, and that's when he becomes more engaged with watching this neighbour. Now, if you look at his other walls, there are views of brick walls, so he doesn't really have a choice. And the vibrant sky seems to attract his attention when the woman is there, almost alerting the audience to remember that the focus is outside the window, not inside. The ever-perfect woman, played by Grace Kelly, casts a shadow on him with the dangerous red lipstick, confirming this idea of oh too perfect, but knowing that nothing is perfect, even the red symbolising a bit of danger, but the real danger is actually outside. Grace Kelly actually made quite an impact on set. Everyone was in awe of her, especially James Stewart. Every time she was on set... There would be the entire crew there waiting for her to come on. She had such elegance, according to Alfred Hitchcock. Grace Kelly, though, may have been a bit too beautiful and friendly, at least for the Paramount Pictures publicity department and, of course, James Stewart's wife. Known privately as a very sexual, free young woman, Kelly often had affairs of her leading men and she made everyone nervous by confessing to gossip columnists that she found James Stewart one of the most masculine, attractive men she'd ever met. But also with Grace Kelly, she is notorious. Well, I say notorious. She is known for never smoking a cigarette. She was an avid non-smoker. I think that was very fashionable in the 50s, especially in moving pictures. But she does light one in the movie. But if you notice when you watch this film, she doesn't smoke it at all. So she was very adamant about not smoking a cigarette, even though she lit one on the movie. I think it's the only movie in which Grace Kelly is seen with a cigarette, even though she refused to smoke it in the movie, except this one. So she's just holding it in this movie. So there's an eerie scene in this movie where um, a woman is faking um, being on a date and she sort of role plays it with an invisible presence. It's sad, the things that we do behind our walls, sad to the outside perspective. But to her, she's in a comforted place because she's reassured with the comforts of her own home. The roof and the walls are surrounding her. Even later when she's alone after pushing away the man that she eventually goes on a date with, she threatens suicide. And the movie somewhat encourages the idea of what Jimmy is doing. He's not nosy, but rather watching out for them. You know, the wife upstairs who is dead and the woman downstairs who is going through a tough time. And this is shown quite subtly by his acting. Not all really taken from the dancing woman on the balcony who is half naked, but more curious about some real life events happening across from him. Just casually looking outside as you would at the sky. He's not actively trying to people watch and catch anyone out or perv on a woman. The position he literally is in is giving him a god view of this neighbourhood, and maybe that's what Hitchcock is trying to get at with him. He's not nosy, but godlike. The scene I was describing earlier is both sad and disclosing, the idea that someone is watching your most intimate moments. It's quite embarrassing, and it's almost revealing as well, and with that juxtapose of everyone else's dinner plans, which we see when we scan through the other neighbourhoods, it just shows how different yet relatable everyone's lives are. We all do the same things, but just in different ways. I mean, we have this movie now. We've seen and had a look at everyone in every apartment. We have, we know who the photographer is. We're following the photographer, which is quite fitting. It's no accident that he is a photographer. Then we have the, uh, you know, the person that we're accusing murder of, which is the salesman. You've got the ballet dancer. You've got the gardener. You've got the sculptors. You've got the cats and the dogs. So you familiarize yourself with everyone in this movie within the first 20 minutes. And that's what Hitchcock wants, this murder mystery. So the film is now set. We know who whom is whom. Set out like a classic <clears throat> who did it. Introducing characters. We know their roles. And we certainly know their locations. And now the movie starts to unravel. And it starts with this salesman. What is going on with the salesman? And where is the wife that we saw at the beginning of the movie?
So the game is now set. The binoculars are out, staying covert rather than your casual people watching. And thus this mystery unfolds. Why did she leave her house? Why did he leave his house twice in the middle of a night with a suitcase? Why does he look suspicious? And this is what entices uh, James Stewart to sort of go further about this because it doesn't seem right. So binoculars and cameras at the arms, we now watch and observe for the rest of the film and with the appropriate and maybe somewhat overzealous equipment of the character and the binoculars, the film now begins. So rear window in a nutshell, what is it about if you haven't seen it? Basically, an accident, as I said, causes this very famous photographer to be wheelchair-bound at his apartment and upon being bored, people watches his neighbours and upon doing it for a few nights, he may think that someone has been murdered and he's now trying to prove it. So Alfred Hitchcock noted in a modern interview, I think it was the 1910 case of Dr. Hawley Harvey Crippen served as an inspiration for this movie. So Crippen was an American living in London and he poisoned his wife and he cut up her body. And then and then he, he basically just told police that she had moved to Los Angeles. He was eventually caught after his secretary with whom he was having an affair with was seen wearing her jewelry and a family's friend searched unsuccessfully for Mrs. Crippen in California. After Scotland Yard became involved, Crippen and his mistress fled England after, I think it was under false names, and they were apprehended on an ocean liner on a cruise ship. And then the police found parts of Mrs. Crippen's body in her cellar. Now, some of this is implied, but the details of this movie focuses mainly on what Jimmy sees throughout this movie. In fact, the whole movie focuses on what Jimmy sees. We stay exactly with him. By filming Rear Window from Jeff's point of view, which is um, the name of Jimmy Stewart's character, Hitchcock places his viewer in Jeff's voyeuristic mindset. We only know as much information as Jeff knows. And Hitchcock's deftly reveals Jeff's neighborhood narrative in compact little pieces. So we, you know, has to keep us wanting more, therefore aligning us with Jeff's point of view. You know, Jeff feels trapped. He can't help but watch the world outside him. He immerses himself in the lives of others as the way to avoid his own personal problems. Similarly, the movie goes escape from reality when we go to the movie theatres. We want Jeff to be right about this murder. We want him to relish the drama. We want a satisfying ending, just as much as Jeff does. It's not like we're in any danger, and it's exactly how Jeff feels when he's watching. He's in the confines of his own apartment and these are the themes that this film so cleverly hints at the idea of security within confines yet the damage one can do just by looking eventually it comes back to him with the famous scene when the salesman confronts him at his own home the scene actually provokes us to feel sorry for the salesman hitchcock actually said in an interview that he felt sorry for the antagonist of the movie and he tends to do that in a lot of his movies actually hitchcock he was just going about his own way, Hitchcock says, and he would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for someone watching him in detail. And it's why that scene at the end is quite conflicted. Of course you don't want to side with the man that killed his wife, but it's the way he goes, what do you want? He doesn't burst through the door and just kills Jimmy Stewart. He goes, what do you want? He wants to try and resolve this. And Hitch Hitchcock went on to say that he hoped the audience would share his sympathy during the confrontation between the two characters there. When Thornwall asked him, what he wanted and why he was doing this while Jeff remained silent. Hitchcock concluded by saying, during that moment, it makes one think, you know, that really Jimmy Stewart is a bastard here. And I think he was referring to the hero of the movie, not the character that we hate, the one that's killed his wife or even Hitchcock himself. So the entire movie was shot on one whole set, which required months of planning and construction. The apartment courtyard set measured 88 feet wide, 185 feet long, 40 feet high. And it consisted of 31 apartments, eight of which were completely refurbished, which is quite interesting. 
So the movie was shot on a specific constructed set that took about 50 to 60 guys about, what, two to three months to build, and it cost about $75,000 to do. And in order to get this scale right, the soundstage floor had to be removed so the courtyard could be built in a former storage place in the basement. Therefore, that means Stuart's apartment in this movie, which appears to be on the second floor, is actually on the street level, which is actually weird to see. It's just done by a really good camera work. Uh, so the set included 31 apartments, of which 12 were fully furnished. The whole thing became a marvel that visitors to the studio were eager to see it. It was featured in magazines. There's a tour on it. Um, and they were doing tours about it while they were still shooting, which is very irregular. To accommodate the enormous set, though, a high ceiling was required. So Hitchcock had the production company tear out the entire floor of the studio, revealing the basement. And what the audience would see is the courtyard was originally the basement, which is what I said earlier. So the courtyard, which is the basement, was set 20 to 20, uh, 30, 20, was it, 20 to 30 feet, which is the stage level. And some of the buildings were the equivalent of about five to six stories high. The movie was shot quickly on the hills of, um, what was it, Dahl M for Murder, I think, at the time. It was the biggest indoor set in history at Paramount Studio when they did that. But they used some of the set for the other movie as well. But this movie was, of course, successful, earning four Oscar nominations, including Best Director, and is in that 1001 Movies Before You Die. There are very, it's a very strange nomination. I mean, it is a great film, and I think it's probably one of his best films, but, and he got Best Director for Hitchcock, but no acting nominations, which is very bizarre. The film itself did not got, I mean, it got nominated for Best Film, which is very bizarre. No, sorry. It didn't get nominated for any best directors no it got nominated for best director sorry so it got nominated for best director but it didn't get nominated for best film or best acting in any categories any acting which is really unlikely so hitchcock got a nomination but nothing else did i mean one thing that i was hoping it would get nominated for when i looked it up was set design from what i've just explained but it didn't get a single nomination from that as well but it was the top grossing film in 1954. It holds a positive 99 critics score, which is almost impossible to do now. The film is now added or was added to the National Film Industry Registry. I think that was back in 1997, which is a huge honor. And some critics have called this film Alfred Hitchcock's best film and has gone as far as saying that this would be the best film ever made in American cinema history. But like, I don't know if you've seen uh, Sliver or Brian De Palma's Body Double, both take inspiration from this movie, and I'm sure other films have, but noticeably them too. It's a very, it's very close to being his best film. I think, for me, Psycho is probably the best one he's done. But in terms of relevance for today, for a film that was made almost 70 years ago, really invites us to have this conversation again about privacy and voyeurism and how far is too much. I mean, Rear Window is a commentary on social values and it provokes its audiences to examine I mean, habits of their own, especially in a world where sensitive information is literally at our fingertips. It's all around us, just consuming us. And just as Hitchcock, with his 1954 characters, invites persuasive eyes to inspect their lives, society today is guilt, you know, it's just guilty of the same indifference. Um, but I, I definitely think this film is, it is it's one of his best films by far. It's sometimes overlooked, but I mean, it's not made, it's set in one location and it's not a very long film, but it's the messages that this film applies, which I think still holds relevant today, which is why I think it's actually one of the best films he has done in terms of, um, you know, shock value. I mean, yes, you could look at other films like Rope or Psycho, but I think this one stretches the, uh, the meaning for audiences a little bit more. 
But anyways, that's all I have time for with Rear Window. Truly a classic in every way possible, and it's a shambles that this film never got nominated for an acting award um, or best film. But history does say that most of the best films that have been nominated for an Oscar doesn't, you know, it, it, it doesn't stop the film from surviving the test of time. But anyway, please subscribe to me on Spotify, iTunes, and Google. I'm also on Instagram, Film Exploration AH, or lowercase or one word. And thank you again for listening to episode 52 with Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.